0: And throughout the book of Acts, we've been having our scripture readings done uh, in various languages to remind us. I'm going to invite Michael to come. As Michael prepares to read the scripture for us, we believe that the good news of the gospel is for all peoples under the sun. Amen? So let's have our hearts be reminded of that as Michael reads in French and in English. Happy Easter. Act 26, 1 à 3. Agrippa, dit à Paul, tu as la parole, tu peux présenter ta défense. Alors Paul attendit la main et présenta ainsi sa défense. Croix Agrippa, je m'estime heureux de pouvoir aujourd'hui me défendre devant toi de toutes les accusations que les Juifs ont portées contre moi. Car tu connais parfaitement toutes leurs coutumes et leurs discussions. Veuille donc, je te prie, m'écouter avec patience. Acts 26, verses 4-8. In Paul's defense, he says, All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our twelve tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Amen. Lord, would you open our hearts to receive from your word today. So here in the latter part of the book of Acts, we've been following a man uh, named Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul, or the Apostle Paul, his Jewish name and his Greek name. And it just seems like everywhere that Paul went, he caused trouble. There was disruption. He had riots in Ephesus, he got thrown out of uh, Philippi, there's earthquakes, and then he ends up in Jerusalem, and the, 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 the kind of more orthodox Jewish people there said, Paul is a cult leader, he's saying strange things about this Jesus being the Messiah and dying and rising again. And there's this major riot in Jerusalem. And so Paul is arrested and he's put into prison and he has to go before one political leader after another. And at this point, when we're picking up the story, he's been in prison for over two years now. And he's sticking to his guns and saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I haven't broken any Jewish law. I haven't broken any Roman Empire law. I'm an innocent man. I want to appeal to the Caesar." And while he's waiting for his day before the emperor, the Caesar, he finds himself in a city called Caesarea in front of three powerful rulers. There's a guy named Festus. Any of you expectant mothers, consider Festus for your little boys you might be having. He's the Roman governor. He's the one put in charge by the empire to make sure that the whole region sits up straight and and doesn't, you know, get out of line. There's a Jewish governor king named Agrippa. And I say king in scare quotes because he doesn't really have much governing authority. He's kind of a a puppet leader, if you will. And then there's Bernice, who is his sister. She's kind of quiet in these verses, but she's nevertheless present. They're both Jewish. So you've got some Roman leaders, you've got some Jewish leaders, and you have Paul. And today we're going to see that Paul cared about one thing above anything else. All Paul cares about is the resurrection of Jesus. That is number one, the big E on the eye chart, the top of the shelf. That's all he wants to get across. I want to pick up our story back in chapter 25 in verse 23. So Paul's waiting in prison. Festus says you can meet with him. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. I don't know what pomp is, but it is apparently great. And I want more of it. They entered the auditorium with the military commanders and the prominent men of the city. And when Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. He's wearing chains as he's brought in. And then Festus said, King Agrippa and all you men present with us, you see this man, the whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him. Both in Jerusalem and and here in Caesarea, they're shouting at me. They're yelling. I can't, that he should not live any longer. He needs to die. But I I dug in and, and I found that he had done nothing actually deserving of death. Well, but then when he appealed to the emperor, I decided I got I to send him to the emperor. So I have nothing, I've got nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. I, I don't know what to put in the paperwork. Empires demand paperwork. And I don't know what to say. I don't know what this is. It's this, this Jewish squabble, some sort of heresy about some Jesus from Nazareth. So I brought him before you and all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I might understand something that's going on. I might have something to write down because it seems pretty unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without putting some charges against him. So Agrippa turns to Paul and says, "You have permission to speak for yourself." So Paul stretches out his hand and he begins his defense. He says, I consider myself very fortunate, O King Agrippa, that I'm able to make my defense today against all these accusations from these Jewish leaders. You, you, you're very knowledgeable, King Agrippa. You know all about these Jewish customs and controversies. So please, please, will you listen carefully? Everybody, all, all the Jews, they know my way of life from youth which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. I'm not a heretic. I'm I'm an Orthodox Jew. I grew up right here in Jerusalem, and they've known me for a long time, if they'd be willing to actually testify about it, that I lived actually according to the strictest sect. I, I was a Pharisee in our religion. Like the most high standards... And now I stand here on trial because of the hope and what God promised to our ancestors, the promise of our twelve tribes that they hope to reach as they earnestly serve Him night and day. King Agrippa, I'm being accused by the Jewish leaders because of this hope. And, and you know, why do you guys consider it so incredible that God raises the dead? I love that. Just just let me paraphrase that for you. Are you really so shocked that God would raise the dead? So Paul begins to speak about how, you know, I I was this Pharisee. I was this incredibly zealous, strict person. I hated Christians. I hated them. I thought they were insane. I thought that they needed to be put in prison or even killed. And that's what I did. I traveled all around the region persecuting followers of Jesus, putting them in prison, killing them, and one day I'm on the road going to a city named Damascus, and a bright light shone from heaven. It blinded me. I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice, a thunderously loud voice, saying, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And I I didn't know what to say, so I said, well, who are you, Lord? He said, yeah, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul tells a story to the leaders about how he met Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the one he thought was still dead, the one he thought these followers were insane for following. But he had this experience where he couldn't deny it anymore, and he heard the voice of Jesus telling him that he is going to go, that Paul is going to go, not just to the Jewish people, but to all the nations of the earth and share this good news and this hope of the gospel. Picking back up in verse 19, he says, So King Agrippa, I I was not going to disobey that voice and this vision I saw. So instead I preached to those in Damascus first and then I went to Jerusalem and then the whole region of Judea and now actually to the Gentiles, those non-Jewish people and I preached this message that they need to repent and turn to God and then they need to do works worthy of repentance. This is the reason why these Jewish leaders seized me in the temple and are trying to kill me. To this very day, I've had help from God and I will stand up in front of anybody, small and great, weak and strong, rich and poor, anybody, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place. I got no new message. It was all there, friends, that the Messiah must suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. Well, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus just kind of lost it in a loud voice. You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. You, we Christians have always been a little just off our rockers, have we not? Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. I mean, the king knows about this. The king Agrippa, and I, I can speak boldly to him. For I'm convinced that none of these things have escaped his notice. He's been paying attention. This stuff stuff didn't happen in a corner somewhere. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you trying to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? Are you you trying to convert me, Paul? Paul said, heck, yes, I am. It's in the Greek, but... I wish before God replied Paul that whether easily or with difficulty not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am well maybe except for these chains so the king the governor Bernice and those sitting with them they got up and when they had left they talked with each other and said man but he's not he's not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment and Agrippa said to Festus man He could have been released if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So off to Caesar, he's going to go. We'll start that final journey next Sunday. We'll pick back up the story. But I want to just showcase a few things that Paul, Saul of Tarsus, believed about the resurrection. Five things. The first thing that we can clearly see, Paul believed that this resurrection was promised. He believed that it was promised. He says, I'm not saying anything new. I'm only saying what the prophets and Moses said would take place. Friends, some, you might be familiar with um, those Bibles that they sometimes give out like in hotel rooms where they cut out the first two-thirds of the Bible and they just give you the New Testament and then maybe some Psalms and Proverbs. Can I just make a confession? I hate those things so much. You can't cut out two-thirds of the Bible and then you can't, you can't give me the whole lead up to the, to the story. That's like trying to watch a movie where somebody like, it's like where, this is like you just, you just tune in. And it's like, Luke, I am your father. Like, I've, I missed something. I don't know what's going on, right? The whole, wait, was that, the movie's been out for like 35 years. You can't blame me. It's on you at this point. I got off track. This is the third time preaching through this today. Uh, here's the point Paul stands up and he says, Listen, God told us this was going to happen. Paul was probably thinking of things like Psalm 16, where, where King David says, The Lord will not abandon me to Sheol, and He will not allow His faithful one to see decay. That the grave would not hold power over this faithful one. Or maybe Paul was thinking of the words of Job in chapter 19, where Job says, You know, even after my skin has been destroyed, I believe I'm going to see God in my flesh. Isaiah 26, the prophet Isaiah says, When the Messiah shows up, you know what's going to happen? The dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. Sing ain't no grave, like St. Johnny would want us to sing, right? Or in Daniel chapter 12, where the prophet Daniel says, When the Messiah comes, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The point being... That Paul believed that God set clues everywhere that we might know that the resurrection was going to happen. Number two, Paul believed that the resurrection, in fact, did happen. It happened. He, he tells his testimony. He met the resurrected Jesus. He used to think the people that saw Jesus after his crucifixion were crazy, but now he's one of them. Something happened. Something happened that changed Paul's entire life. The, the Lord Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus and, and like the fresh Prince of Bel-Air, his life got flipped turned upside down in that moment. Right? My wife is, you look embarrassed. What is, Okay. Here's, here's, listen, I remember reading the testimony of a man named uh, Charles Colson. Charles Colson, uh, he worked for the Nixon administration and he did illegal things as part of the whole Watergate scandal. Children, if you don't understand the words Nixon administration or Watergate scandal, ask your grandparents because your parents are probably too young to remember it. But Colson said, I mean, he, he was military. He, he served all these, all these like, you know, Navy SEALs and Marines and like tough manly men. And they had all these lies about the Watergate scandal. And when the pressure from the authorities showed up, all of these tough guy grown men melted like little kids who didn't get a nap. And he says that that to him helped compel him towards believing that the resurrection of, of Jesus actually happened. Because when the pressure came on all of these disciples, when the pressure came on all these apostles, they all went to their death saying, we saw Jesus alive. He appeared to us. They didn't melt down. They didn't shrink back like Colson and these other people in the Watergate scandal. Friends, something happened to Saul of Tarsus that changed his entire life where he went to his death saying, I've seen the resurrected Jesus, that he was crucified publicly on a cross. And Paul came to believe that that crucifixion meant that our sins are forgiven. Our debt is paid. The wrongdoings that we have done are now dealt with once and for all and we can have forgiveness from God. And that the resurrection of Jesus is the stamp. It's the proof positive. It's the receipt that said our debt has been paid in full and everything that Jesus said was true. Amen? Amen. This is the gospel, the hope of the gospel. Paul believed. Not only was the resurrection promised, he believed it happened. He also believed, number three, that the resurrection of Jesus was the first. He said it in verse 23. Jesus is just the first. There's more to come. There's more to come. Paul would often use the language of first fruits. That when a, par- a farmer would plant crops, you have to just sit there and wait. You plant the seeds and maybe the stalks would grow, but there's, is there gonna be fruit? Is there gonna be produce? Is there gonna be grain? Is there gonna be anything? And then you see that first one, you say, yes, we're headed in the right direction. Friends, Jesus' promise in John chapter six is that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That when we celebrate Easter, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, it's not just a celebration that Jesus was raised from the dead. It's a celebration that all who believe in him will also be raised from the dead. There ain't no grave going to hold this body down on that last day. We're going to see Jesus face to face. Amen? And then number four, I love that Paul says, the resurrection shouldn't surprise us. What an amazing thought. I want to camp out on this one for just a moment. Jewish belief in the resurrection is actually quite a historic anomaly. Other cultures, you can find all sorts of stuff about other cultures in the ancient world, they hoped for resurrection, they longed for it, but they didn't actually believe it could happen. I was watching a documentary recently on ancient Egypt and the mummification process. Oh yeah, I have lots of fun. And in this documentary, they were talking about how, you know, they, 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 the people who were left behind, they thought if they did a really good job of mummifying them and putting all their stuff together, that they could have a really good afterlife. But there was no hope for physical resurrection from the dead for mere mortals like us. But do you know what they also believed? They also believed that the sun was a god named Ra. And every single night when Ra would set in the West, he died. And he went into the underworld and had to do battle against the forces of evil. And then the next morning would resurrect from the dead. So even though they didn't believe that resurrection could happen, they still hoped for it. They still longed for it. The ancient Greeks, uh, you know, just before the time of Jesus and the apostles, similar sort of thing. They believed in, (coughs) excuse me, resurrection belonging to the gods, but not to us. There's a poet, um, a cyclist, who said, once a man has died and the dust has soaked up his blood, there's no resurrection from the dead. There's a story from one of the ancient myths, and maybe from Homer, where he says that Apollo was trying to resurrect a child, but Zeus hit Apollo with a lightning bolt and said, no. That child's dead. Mere mortals don't come back to life. Our culture. I mean, we can't get enough of resurrection, can we, in our culture? Gandalf. Harry Potter. Neo. Aslan. Superman. I mean, Batman wouldn't have been dumb enough to die in the first place, but Superman, you know... Zack Snyder's career with the Justice League. Uh, We love, we love stories of resurrection, even though we live in a culture that says stuff like that doesn't happen. There's a great quote from Martin Luther that just always just makes my heart just stirred within me. Martin Luther says, Our Lord has written the promise of resurrection, not in books alone, but in every leaf of springtime. That we look at the way that the world has been created. Even the cycle of death and resurrection is on display, not just in the Old Testament scriptures, but in nature itself. That when a seed falls into the ground and dies and then it produces new life, that's a hint of resurrection. In the fall when the leaves fall off and now here in the springtime as we start to see flowers and leaves start to bud again, it's a hint of the resurrection. I watched another documentary, again, so much fun in my house. I watched another documentary about When stars explode and go into supernova, the materials that they give off go out into space and form new planets. It's not just in nature, though, it's in our human experience. I've seen people be healed, I've seen people be given weeks or months to live and make a full recovery. God's resurrection power still at work. Why would we consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I've seen friendships that were broken apart. I've seen parents estranged from children who reconcile after years and years apart. I've seen marriages that have no earthly chance of making it come together and not just survive, but thrive. Why would we consider it so incredible that God raises the dead? I've seen people set free from the bonds of addiction. I've seen people walk in freedom from depression and anxiety. I've also seen people face the most challenging things that life has to offer with courage and with grace because of the resurrection power of Jesus alive and at work with them. See, the resurrection power of Jesus doesn't mean that everything in this life is going to be instantly turned around and miraculous, but it does mean that we see it all over the place and one day, Jesus will return and we'll see the fullness of it come true. I sat with a woman who who used to work for our church just days before she passed away from a battle with cancer. And as she and many of us were praying and seeking the Lord, would you please bring healing? Would you please bring healing? And for whatever mysterious reason, his answer in that situation was no, not now. But I, I watched her. She looked me and others of us in the eyes and said, I know where I am going And I don't have to have fear and I don't have to worry because I'm going to see my Savior face to face. I've watched people walk through the most difficult things in life with hope and with joy and with peace because of the hope of the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus that was the first of many more to come. And the offer of Jesus still stands. All who believe in me Though they die, yet shall they live. Jesus said, I'll raise them up on the last day, which leads me to the last thing that Paul believed. The resurrection calls for a response. The resurrection calls for a response. He says, I wish before God that you all might become as I am. Friends, if you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Jesus, then Paul's words are my words as well. I wish before God that you would place your trust in Jesus. I wish before God that he would give you the gift of faith to see that Christ's death that happened, it actually happened, had meaning that your sins could be forgiven and that his resurrection power is available to you today. Responding to the resurrection, I mean, Paul, Paul talked about it. There, there, there's, three, there's three parts, but it's as simple as this. First is Repentance. He says, I go out and I preach the gospel of repentance. Friends, repentance means I have not lived up to God's standards. I have failed. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I mean, for crying out loud, we haven't even lived up to society's standards. We haven't even lived up to our own standards, if we're being honest. All of us who are Christians have had to start out at the point of saying, I, on my own, am unworthy. I, on my own, like our sister Rachel said a minute ago, we've all on our own chosen death which is why step number two is putting our trust in Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus, saying, I, I can't do it on my own. I've got nothing on my own. I've fallen short. I'm imperfect. I've failed. But I am trusting that when Jesus says that he will forgive me, when Jesus says he will bring me into his family, he meant it. I'm putting my faith in him. I'm putting all my chips into the center of the table, and I'm going all in on team Jesus. Which leads to step number three, which is a life of loyalty. Loyalty. A life of devotion, a life of saying, I, I, am, I am yours, Jesus. It's not just that I want to be forgiven, it's that I want to give you everything that I've got, and I want to live my whole life for you. Friends, if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is what it looks like. And by the way, if you are a believer in Jesus, guess what? This is still what it looks like. Because I stumble and I fall. Anybody here with me? You stumble, you fall, you make mistakes and we run back to the cross. We run back to Jesus and we say, I did it again. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And again, my trust is only in the forgiveness that comes from the crucified and resurrected Savior. Help me to live a life of greater loyalty and devotion. We do it again and again and again until that day that we see the sky split open, Jesus return, and we are finally made perfect for all of eternity. And until that day, we repent, We trust and we follow. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, this would have been before he was interrogated here by Festus and Agrippa and Bernice. He said this about the resurrection. He's just all in on the resurrection. He says, If Christ was not raised, our faith is worthless, we're still in sin. And those people who died, they've fallen asleep in Christ. Well, they're just gone. They've perished forever. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits, there it is, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. But because of Christ's resurrection, death is just like taking a nap now. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. We put our faith in Jesus, we celebrate the resurrection, and we do that until the day that we see him face to face. Amen? Lord, I ask and I pray now for anyone who is here, whether in person or joining us online, who has not yet put their trust in you, Lord, would you grant them the gift of faith to believe in you, Lord, that that you mean what you say with forgiveness of sins and the promise of new life. Lord, for those of us who by your grace have put our faith in you, I ask and I pray that you'd help us to live a life still marked by repentance and faith and loyalty every hour, every day, turning to you and saying, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. May we be faithful now in Jesus' good name. Amen.